0: This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland.
1: What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. I have no clue where we're episode run, but we're close to 50. I know that much. Yeah, we're getting close to the big 50. We had our... Uh energy tech night last night it's a really good time i'm super excited about that man the response that we got was amazing yeah it's just uh there's
2: always growing pains with those kinds of things right like we changed the venue uh we went to st arnold's brewery had a little bit of av trouble but that was about it
1: i thought the room i didn't even go by some of our people went by but neither one of us had been there to check out the venue before we showed up. And I showed up, and I'm like, this is like four times larger than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. yeah. Tim and
2: Julie and the Sean and the rest of the Stonecourt group took care of that. It was yeah. a good venue, man. Yeah. We had a lot, a lot. Great turnout, great beer. I got my 10,000. We only had one microphone. So, you know, the audience is asking questions there after the presentations. And I was getting my 10,000 steps in, running that microphone back and forth. So maybe next time we'll, we'll get two microphones. will be a bit... More prepared for it. But. <laughs> so today got a cool episode with my man Joe Meadows. What's going on, Joe? Hey boys, how's it going? Doing good, man. So this is kind of a special episode for us in the fact that you're our first repeat guest on the show. So you're on here, huh? man, almost exactly a year ago, I think. Uh, I can't remember if you were episode two or three, but you're definitely. I was part of that starter yeah, group. Yeah. yeah, we launched. We launched with five episodes when we launched the podcast, and you were in that batch of the first five. So we had to sell a couple of people on, like, "Hey, man, this, this podcast is gonna be really cool. Just trust us."
1: And you know, we hadn't got started yet. We just you know? we just picked a couple. Of, literally, how the show started was just picked a couple of our friends. we were like, "Hey, just come do the podcast with us, please." <laughs> well,
0: so, I'm I'm honored to be back, and I think I'm excited to still be employed by the same tech startup, which is uh. I that's think pretty pretty rare in this world, but it's it's a good, good sign, right? Yeah. I mean, if you guys are
2: still, if you're still up and running around a year, you know, that's a, a good sign. So tell us, tell us a little bit, uh, you know, just if anyone hasn't listened to your previous episode, I'm telling about your company, your position and what you guys are doing.
0: Yeah. So I'm part of the management team. I'm, uh, I'm the CEO at OpsLock and what we do super simply without getting too into the weeds is we're sort of an all-in-one solution for oil field risk management. And what that really means is we have a mobile platform where the guys in the field can do any piece of sort of frontline paperwork, whether that be your work permits, your checklists, your JSAs, all that stuff. And then we have a, a full suite of cloud tools, which is your incident investigations and inspections and, and control document management, We're sort of the whole package. Mm-hmm. But what really makes OpsLock special and, and different in the space is that we use that mobile collection point with you know the frontline employees, the bulk of of these organizations, as a way to collect contextualized, sort of high dimensional information about what they're doing on a daily basis. You know, what are the the documents that people are completing regularly, and then we analyze those for trends uh, in a way that that you know ultimately helps us to predict disasters or injuries or fatalities before they happen so that's that's what we do
2: one of the coolest things from our last conversation is when you started talking about the analytics layer of what you guys were able to do you know you start collecting all this data and there's almost a predictive analytic feature to say hey this is really when we're seeing high-risk situations when you have these different variables or these parameters and that's when high-risk situations and we have Accidents on the job site. So
0: yeah. So I mean, for me, I spent ten years sort of running operations in in offshore oil and gas. And as a younger guy who who was lucky enough to be in a management role, I just realized like we're spending. You know, we got all these guys making a hundred grand a year, spending an hour a day on paperwork. And as somebody whose personal life is fairly data driven. I was sort of blown away that like we take all this stuff, we shove it in a box or an envelope and we put it in storage and, in case somebody gets hurt later. And ultimately that was a great opportunity for us to learn more about what was happening sort of on the work site. And I will be the first to admit that I was not like, I wasn't a health and safety guy. I was an operations manager and I had a bone to pick with how much time the guys who I wanted to be out there welding or painting or doing whatever were spending on this health and safety paperwork that, that we ultimately weren't, getting all that much value from. So what OpsLock sort of came to exist or the, the reason that, that we started the company was to say that we recognize that it, it's just a, a market reality that, that these systems have to exist. So how can we make them you know, the most valuable for the companies that have to employ them and ultimately have the least impact on the, on the boys on the front line or, or the gals on the front line? Yeah, always
2: uh, tight trash to people offshore i'm like man you spend four hours of your 12 hour shift just waiting on you know work permits safety paperwork so just bringing some efficiency to that
1: process to where people can actually get to work and do their job and i mean um, there's a lot of as shitty as it is it's all for a purpose right yeah and so like i just think about all the times that you went offshore you want to go home and see julie and the kids and they want to have you guys there something as simple as this and being more efficient and looking at the data in ways that we can be safer and also just save more time so it's Huge on the safety side, huge on the productivity okay. side.
0: Yeah, I mean, I will forego going too much into a sales pitch, but I think if you look <laughs> at between 2003 and 2013, 1,189 people died in the oil and gas industry in America alone. How many How many was it? 1,189. Jesus. That's more than double the next closest industry. And at that time, like I, I think we can all recognize that we are like the ultimate safety first industry. I think in 2011, the industry was spending $35 billion a year on health and safety. And so if, if you sort of reconcile those two facts, you've got all these people, you know, dying on the job, and then you've got $35 billion being spent, there's an obvious disconnect in, in how those systems are actually being employed in the field. So, you know, what I saw and the, the things that, that were concerning to me were, you know, ultimately, whether it be work permits or, or all these things, you've got guys who... You know, you do a one-hour training course, maybe when you're getting onboarded as as a roughneck or whatever it is, where like this is how you do your paperwork, and you're expected to remember that and correctly sort of produce these documents as per your company procedures forever. And the reality is that, you know, a that training is never perfect, and and that you know when you're relying on these pen and paper systems to do all this stuff, there's no guardrails. So. What I would see is, you know, when I became responsible for just making sure that health and safety was happening correctly on, on these big offshore sites, it's like, these two work permits look completely different. And, and if you have those systems falling apart at that implementation level, they don't work. And the only way you can control them is by getting technology involved. So that's yeah, where we come into play. You know, safety is
2: such a big deal. You know, my first two months in on the rigs, I saw my motorman get sucked into the drum mm. and into the draw works and ripped all his fingers off. And that was kind of you know eye opening for me. You know, I was just a worm at the time. I'd been on the rig for two months and I was like, What the fuck <laughs> is going on out here? And I mean it was very simple situation that could have been avoided using lockout tag out. Yeah. But the problem is as safety has evolved, I mean Like you said, the industry puts so much focus on safety, right? But we still have these accidents. And the problem is because when you go out on a location, if anyone doesn't know, if they haven't been out to a location, to an oil and gas location, typically how it works for all these companies is you go out there, you have a a meeting, you know, a tailgate meeting. And they pass around a JSA saying, this is what we're doing today. And not a single person reads through that JSA. They pencil whip it. You know, they sign their name on it. Uh, most companies are requiring, you know, one stop card or uh, an equivalent per day. And I'll tell it right now, like I'd make a path to shit on my stop card, like oh I gotta turn in a stop card. Um uh, that's my obligatory mm-hmm. stop card, you know, hand wasn't wearing gloves yeah. <laughs> while, while operating tongs, you know, like I'd make up something that I would see a lot, but you know, you just kind of go through the motions and it's not really a, a, a very dynamic uh, way to address the problem. Does it raise awareness? Maybe, but
0: yeah. When I, I think that the, you know, what you are talking about, this sort of JSA review, one thing that a, an early customer told us, and I, I just use this story a lot is that there was a, a supervisor or whatever put on the second last page of a JSA if anybody reads this, I'll give them a hundred dollars and he didn't have to give up that hundred dollars. Everybody just flips to the last page, signs their name and goes about their day. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you circle back on, you're talking about energy tech night last night, little shout out to rig call out a big part of their message when they were presenting was that ultimately if people know that there is visibility within the system, it tends to encourage better behavior. And I think for us, that's, that's a big part of what we're trying to do. So on something like a JSA, you know, the the beauty of us doing it on on a tablet or a phone, like we we, we don't really care what you use. We can not only we make it super easy to to update a version or, or do those types of things, but we're tracking the screen time. So if you scroll right to the bottom and sign it, well, people are going to know that you're, you're nark. <laughs> oh, but 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 that whole attitude is because these systems. Like they, it's not, they weren't designed in this way, but like the reality is that there's so many holes in how they can be managed on, you know, in the field or offshore or wherever that it just becomes this thing where it's like, well, I just need to get my numbers. So my boss is off my back and I'm just gonna, you know, pencil whip it or or do whatever. And what we are able to do is, is make these systems be less focused on numbers. And because that, that reality just came from the fact that like, if you're in Houston, you don't know what's happening on site until two or three weeks after the fact. And so the only way you can encourage good behavior is to say, well, we need these numbers. Like that's the only thing you can do. So with Opslog, they can see those things in real time. You can see, oh, we got some weird behavior on our, our work permits today in the middle of West Texas or Nigeria or wherever. And that it allows for sort of smaller course corrections in a way that sort of gets rid of that sort of, gotcha culture that I mm-hmm. talk about in in health and safety and and I think in general people just get more aware of the fact that sort of the holes are gone and as much as this may not seem believable to you but again as an operations guy what we've seen is that actually people don't view it as as like a a narc thing or like it's not yeah. it's no longer about rat cards yeah it's you know these are these guys are professionals you know guys who work in the oil field take their job seriously and everybody knows that they're spending all this time on this paperwork that nobody cares about, or people care that it gets done. They don't care about the details. Yeah. And with Opsog, it's like, well, you're going to spend that 30 minutes a day, and the company's going to get like some meaningful information that they can use to make make your job safer or, or make your life easier. And they've eliminated all these holes that have been so obvious to you for the last 10 years. Like, people actually give a shit now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I can uh, see
2: that. I mean, really, from a, a field hand perspective, it's about I mean, if you look at onshore compared to offshore safety culture, there's a stark contrast between the two. And I think a lot of the, the problem onshore is that you have companies that, you know, they talk about safety and they promote safety, but everyone knows that they're not really about that life. Like at the end of the day, like get the job done at all costs. And so that's why that's why field personnel don't take it seriously. Now you go offshore, every, you know, the companies back it up. They yep. talk about safety and they mean it. And with that said, everyone that's on board a vessel takes that very seriously. I mean, safety is is the priority over everything, right? I mean, I remember I was on a job on, on land for some big independent operator. And anyways, they were winching up some equipment and just the way that they hooked this winch on. I look over at one of my coworkers I was like, "Yep, that shit would never fly <laughs> offshore." Yeah. Know? They left in some some uh, heavy equipment with some uh, very sketchy uh, uh, methods, but yeah. I I think that it's not kind of perceived by employees as, "Oh, this is narking on us." I think that they see it as like, "Oh, we are actually doing things that are proactive to make this a safer work environment." It's when, serious.
0: No, I think I think absolutely people are more cognizant of the fact that getting to the hospital is going to be difficult, so we got to be a little bit more careful here. Mm-hmm. But I think I think again, I mean, it, it is it is cultural. But I I have continually been surprised because again, I, w- I was not one of these safety evangelists when I was up you know working offshore or in the field. I was a get the job done kind of guy, but ultimately it, it was about there is a problem here. Like there is a reason that the companies are investing so much money in this. I mean, Where I was working, it was an onshore-offshore company, and we had a twenty-person staff that just took all the Excel sheets and scanned documents and all that stuff to make some stuff that they could give to the executive team. And like, that's a meaningful investment. And you know, where where we came at the problem was just like, if we're gonna do this, how can we do it right? And I think what you know, and, and we're we're still growing, so. I can't speak to this with a hundred percent ownership, but I think what you see in the onshore spaces is a lot of smaller organizations. Whereas offshore, like you gotta be a big boy to, to play in that sandbox. And one of the things that, that customers have told us is really appealing about what we do is it, it removes the sort of mental burden from their organization of like, we have to hire some CSP to come in here and cook up some big system that we need to get on the boys to implement. And that, with, working with us they can come in and they can you know pay us a monthly fee and you have a world class safety system and it's done like you don't need administrators you don't need CSPs you're you're, you're good to go
2: yeah um, I don't know what has me on such a kick to tell rig stories right oh
0: no, please but, do uh, I, he's
2: talking about you know you're <laughs> such a far away from a hospital I mean like that story about when my motorman got his fingers mm-hmm. cut off I mean you go down there and you pick up his glove and his fingers are still in it and you have to put them in the bed of the pickup truck and drive them an hour to the hospital I mean that's brutal shit right oh uh-huh. Like, I mean, you you realize that you're out in the middle of nowhere. And so, I mean, safety is often a life or death situation. So for you guys, what has really changed in the last year since we've talked to you? I I think that you guys have really kind of evolved in your messaging to the industry. And I mean, this is, uh, you know... uh, kind of classic tale of any early stage startup really having to pivot uh, along the way and find out what works for the market and what they're reacting to. So can you talk a little bit on, you know, if someone was to go back and listen to your first episode that we did and where you're at today, you know, what has changed in that time frame?
0: How long you got? Man, I, I got about 15 minutes. Anyway, we uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, things have things have escalated a lot. You know, I think One of the one of the big inflection points for us as a as a company, because ultimately we're we're trying to solve a big problem. Like there are a lot of little things that we have to solve to be able to provide companies with like a whole product, health and safety solution. And I think we a year ago we were at the stage where we were, we that was our ambition, but we were not there yet. And so from a sales traction perspective, it was it was difficult to go into a meeting and say, we've got seventy percent of what you want, and where we are now is at a place where we've not only sort of you know our our team is 400% bigger than it was if not more than when when we we had the the last episode so team is way bigger product is way more mature and now we're at a place where we're actually able to go to customers and say like this isn't some tech startup saying like if you give me 10 bucks today I'll give you a product in 6 months we're able to actually sort of approach customers and and give them a world class solution which is Super exciting as somebody who was selling, let's not say an imaginary thing for, for a while, but it certainly wasn't as real as it is now. It feels like it is for, for a little while. Right. Yeah. You're, you know, you a reality of
1: any like software entrepreneur though. Yeah.
0: Demo, sell, build. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think that, that like building a castle in the sky, like you need marketing materials to sell your product. You know, you can't build your product until you sell your product and you can't make the marketing materials until the product exists. And so you're trying to like throw all these balls in the air at once and hope they stick together. But but we've we've sort of been able to overcome that hurdle. And now we're just at a place where we're, we've got all this awesome growth and and trying to grow the team in a way that, that allows us to support it.
2: What's funny about you two is I think that you should cut a deal with uh, Montreal's government because Uh-oh. you become a champion for uh, Montreal's uh, tech scene. I think Engage Mobilize is moving there now to set up a dev shop and I know several other startups have talked to you too. So let's talk a little bit about how you guys are set up in Montreal and the reason for that because I think that if you have any tech founders listening to this, they'd be very interested in why you guys are there.
0: Okay, I would be happy to do this because the economic development people in Montreal have a really nice box at the arena that they're <laughs> happy to give me tickets so, to. So we're
2: going to we're gonna cut out a scene of this and we're going to send it straight
0: to them and get <laughs> Absolutely. To some tickets. <laughs> so yeah, so just for a little background for the, the listeners who sort of don't know the story, we, we started in Austin, you know, being an oil field focused company, that, that made a lot of sense for us. Look at the successes there, whether that be drilling info, I always get their new name wrong, but. D.I. Enverus. Enverus. You got rigged up. You've, you've got a lot of success there. What we. I
2: looked, want, I'm going to go on the record real quick and say that not changing your name
0: to D.I. was the worst branding move <laughs> of all time. But. Inveris, no
1: comments. The essence of oil.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we we were in Austin, did the Capital Factory Accelerator there, did some really cool stuff with UT Austin. And then we got to this point where we needed to raise money and we needed to expand our team to sort of address the growth we had. I won't get into all the nitty gritty details, but we ended up with our our biggest presence up in in Montreal. And that's proved for, for those of you out there who are our founders, who are trying to make every last dollar sort of count. It's been amazing for us because everybody knows sales cycles in oil and gas are super long and selling investors on, hey, you need to give me money for the next two years because that's the only timeline on which I can close a deal is hard. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we we were a U.S. company, but we have a subsidiary up in Canada, which is where a lot of our development happens. And we've just found, you know, there's tons of talent. You're, you're not competing in, in quite as competitive as markets. It's the biggest concentration of, of universities. So there's a lot of computer science graduates coming out all the time. And from there's some great tax credits, which, again, I don't want to get too into. But for, for us, I mean, I, I think. Oilfield guys. I mean, we we are still very much focused on, on oil oilfield challenges. We've got guys like you guys know Britt, who's who's yeah. helping us right now with yeah. market development in the Gulf of Mexico and the sort of support vessel space down there. So we're trying to... How did you and Britt get linked up? So Britt's a... This podcast. I figured that that was
1: probably the answer. That's why I asked. He texted me. He was like, hey, I'm working with Joe. And I was like, did we introduce you guys? Or did you guys just meet on your own?
0: No. (laughs) So I think that's a testament to to Britt's networking skills. So again, we're being up in Montreal, obviously customers are... Not not many offshore
2: customers operating out of Montreal.
0: Offshore, onshore, nothing. So we, you know, the reality is I I spend a lot of time on the road, you know, spending time with our customers and making them realize that even though we might not be next door, which is a lot, what a lot of people expect in this industry, mm-hmm. we're going to make it feel like we are. And Britt was a part of that. So he listened to this podcast. I think he just reached out as like a, a fellow person interested in, in entrepreneurial activity in the space former Mariner, so I don't think we touched my background, so I have a Master Mariner's license. You're a boat driver. I'm a boat driver.
1: <laughs> Aren't you like one of like 20 people in the world that can drive like the largest boat or something?
0: Um, there's there's certainly more than 20 of us, but <laughs> my... I was
1: trying to give you a little credit. Come yeah.
0: <laughs> my, my license allows me to be captain of any ship in the world. So it's, it's fun to say in a bar.
1: How can we get the largest ship in the world and get you to drive it? This so what we're going to do. We're going to buy a yeah, ship. You
0: guys, you know, keep hustling right and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll make it happen. Anyway, we... So, we Britt reached out and then we sort of got to this place where we said, Hey, we want to focus really tightly on what we broadly call sort of top level contractors in the offshore world. Ultimately we we can't keep everybody happy all the time. We have a lot of ownership in this space. Let's get in there. And and I don't know if he mentioned it or if I mentioned it, but I sort of said, like, Britt, you you're he's working now in the sort of support vessel space and he's he's living in New Orleans, like really tied in with that marketplace. And I said, like, yeah how much you want to work for us cuz uh it's just a great way to maintain that connection and I think we all know like the oil field is it's big on relationships it's big on on having established trust and we're not trying to change that that mold we're just trying to say ultimately I've got all the confidence in the world that when people see what we do and they really dig into it it blows them away. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of getting in that room. And Britt's been amazing for us to, to get in there. So that's awesome. big shout out to, to Britton, connect, <laughs> connect with him on LinkedIn. And
2: I think that's what's uh, just really cool about what's been happening in the oil and gas tech space lately in the past year, is that everyone's being able to come together and see what's happening and that opens up opportunity, right? Yeah. I mean, we just hired uh, a drilling engineer to come on as an early stage employee that came from Digital Wildcatters Collective. My buddy Tyler Laurie just moved down here to Houston last week he found out about Corva from from the vlogs and applied mm. and got a job there as a, a drilling analyst so yep. just opportunities that are opening up if you're proactive you got to be proactive about it and you know be someone like Britton. and you hear something and and reach out and you never know what'll open up
0: I think absolutely and I think when you know to get a little inside baseball here, I think the reality is that as much as people talk about how difficult, entrepreneurship is in the space, the reality is like once you start to get traction, that snowball is rolling down the hill and it's hard to stop. Like you're looking at big ticket sizes and things like that. So I think that the more that that those of us who are in the space can work together to open doors, I mean, it, it just creates more success for everybody. And I think the reality, again, being that we're looking at these really large contract values and typically very sticky products, like these are not the type of customer that's going to go from one vendor to another vendor every year. Like mm-hmm. the guys in the field will lose their minds if you do that. The reality from from an entrepreneur's perspective is, is you're not looking at constant dilution. You don't need to raise money 20 times. Yep. You got to get yourself off the ground, you got to make a good good network, you sort of build that sense of community and then you're off to the races and I think that's a scenario where again we can all you know, we can all benefit each other. The same VC funds are invested in all of us if we can all be successful literally we all win so yeah it's pretty cool yeah
2: i like seeing the journeys of everyone that comes through here or on the show i think it, it was you one time you come to visit us and you're like hey can i take this uh, demo call over here and so you're in the corner of the <laughs> office you know yeah. giving a, a demo to a client yep. and uh, so those i forgot stories. about that yeah those are but, the stories that i'll remember you know when you guys have blown up and, and made it up like, yeah i remember you in our shitty office again <laughs> <like laughs> and doing demo calls <laughs> yeah on our slow wi-fi shots yeah. fired yeah. <laughs> so You know, you guys, where where do you feel like you're at in the process? Obviously, I feel like y'all started to gain a lot of uh, traction, clarity from the last time that we had you on the podcast. I know you guys are about to do another round of funding. Um, You've already got some early stage uh, angel investors that uh, funded you guys initially. Now you're looking to do the next round. So where, where are you guys at in, in terms of traction in your mind? Where where you really see yourself going in the next six months? Just kind of elaborate on all of that.
0: Totally, so uh, again, just to, to speak to the journey a little bit. I think we, again, you know, this is a big solution we're trying to build. Spent a lot of time trying to figure out how we were gonna get that done and and eventually got to a place where we, we, we did. And, and so now we're, you know, we have product live in the market, mostly focused offshore right now, but sort of mm-hmm. paying customers, you know, we're, we're, we're the real thing now and we're growing all the time. And I think as far as what we're looking at for the future, what we ultimately realized was we've got uh, an eight person team right now and in the startup world, like that's not tiny. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the reality is that for the type of solution we offer and the re because we connect with your entire workforce, you know, we need to have support personnel and all these other things so that when, you know, Jimmy, the roughneck can't get his app to work we got a guy to take the call and so you know because we've gotten this this early traction and we're producing revenue and, and we have enthusiastic customers taking calls for us i had a bit of a no shit moment where i said like if any of the deals that are in our pipeline right now close i'm not gonna have enough people to support them we're screwed <laughs> yeah so we uh right now we're, we're at a place where and you know this this podcast won't age very well but we are uh, raising some money uh, basically to, to expand that support organization because we've got a, a ton of really nice qualified leads in the pipeline that, that I need more people to make sure those customers are happy.
2: That's what uh, I don't think a lot of people understand the growth pains that startups, you know, well, not only just getting off the ground, but then you do start getting uh, clients and you have to start scaling, right? You have to yeah. be able to support those contracts and clients, and that's a, a problem in itself.
0: When I, I like basically for us, we. We are one product, but we are 50 products. They're like it's, it's a work permit system, it's controlled documents, it's inspections, it's investigations. and all of those things need to be communicated in a simple way. Mm-hmm. So we do some amazing things with our knowledge base, and we even hope for offshore stuff, we keep a server on the vessel or the rig or whatever, where you can watch tutorial videos locally so you don't need really? an internet connection and oh, stuff like that. So and that, that's all about making our support organization more scalable. But yeah, I mean, for us right now, I think when you look at the the stages of startup growth, we're sort of right at we've we've proven the product is is desired by the market and and that people are are excited about it. We've got that early revenue and now we're sort of entering that middle stage where it's we want to get to a place where we've shown demonstrable market traction as far as sales. So these words fly around a lot, but I, I sort of see that as pre-seed is is you're validating the concept, mm-hmm. seed is you are. Throwing a little more gas on the fire to, to get some revenue going, and then you're just looking at growth, whether that be Series A through F. So broadly, basically, what we're doing is we're trying to be really strategic and go deep right now in that seed world, expand our revenue to what is broadly sort of appealing to to growth investors, and then really, really throw some gas on the fire. You know, pull, pull the fire up to the gas so station. In, ramp it up. Yeah. <laughs> in, in say 15 months from now, so we're That's we're just looking for the right people who can, again, like you know, we're trying we're, we think there is a tremendous opportunity here and a super st- sticky company-wide sort of mission critical system and that it's it's such a cool opportunity that we're trying to be really thoughtful about who are the investors that can bring the most to the table mm-hmm. rather than just
2: not not just in terms of money, right, but in terms of yeah, value adds
0: value I mean, yeah, I mean industry connections. Mm-hmm. and so we're, we're trying to hit a nice balance of, People with with deep sort of door opening Rolodexes mm-hmm. and a bit of juice behind them so that people will take the call. And then I think also, you know, we're we're super lucky to be supported by some people with, you know, mm-hmm. very, very successful Silicon Valley careers. A couple founders of a company that's that's currently worth over eight billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And they're they've got a lot of people who think highly of them because they made a lot of VCs, a lot of money. So we think that. The traditional pure Silicon Valley model doesn't work in this space, mm-hmm. but there are elements of it that are like growth. They're amazing at, you know, building amazing software is, is what they do. So we want to have that voice as, as well as some industry voices in, in our sort of investor portfolio. And, and that's what we're working towards. Absolutely. So if anyone's listening, they can reach out to you. Yeah, hi.opstock.com slash invest, and you, you will oh, get the oh Dude, he's got, he's got a landing page set up for it. Correct.
1: Uh, this yeah. motherfucker's on top of his <laughs> game. Yeah. If you're a founder, you What's need to It's the first take, time I've seen a landing page for notes? investment. That's, yeah. that's good. <laughs> it,
0: it, there's, it, when you get our one pager, which I'd be happy to send anyone who asked for it, there's a link, like a, a hyperlink built into the PDF. It'll take you to the landing page, and you get that more info. That's uh,
2: next level, man. You're out here just <laughs> teaching people. <laughs> Giving them the game for free. Hey,
0: that's, that's, that's what we're here for, man. I think, I think the, not to toot my own horn here, but the, uh. You're a boat driver. I'm a boat driver. Uh, I, I ultimately don't have a clue what I'm talking about, but the, I think what we've seen from the people who've been most impactful in helping us grow our business is that the multiples, the sort of capital efficiency of software puts people in a position to be super generous. And that generosity is what ultimately drives the market. It's what drives innovation. It's what drives people to make that leap and leave their jobs and do something crazy. Mm -hmm. And although I do not have the funds to be generous in the way that other people are, if there's anything I've said that that resonates with people and and taking a 15-minute phone call would be, be helpful to them, I'm happy to do
2: it. Awesome, man. Where can people find you? You're on uh, LinkedIn, maybe yeah. you're on Instagram. Yeah. What other social social channels are you on?
0: That's pretty much it. You know, LinkedIn for business, Instagram for fun. You check <laughs> me out on Instagram if you want. I always give people a warning like, man, you'd add me on Instagram, but you know, yeah, that's. That's the the rowdy side. Uh, This is my personal life. (laughs) Um, (laughs)
1: The reality is everybody has a rowdy side. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, Joe Meadows. I think I'm probably the first one that comes up. Uh, I know there's quite a famous bluegrass fiddler also named Joe Meadows. That's not me, just to be clear. A lot cooler if it was. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, I mean, I think if you go to OpsLock.com, you can find whatever you want about what we do
2: awesome man well hey i appreciate you coming on uh it was fun Second time so i think that you know we should do this again come come another year yeah uh, we'll get
0: an update and see how things are progressing so i'll bring my like uh vp of pr next time (laughs) oh you're gonna be too big to actually talk to us i don't know about that that. i don't know about that
2: Uh, all right man well appreciate you uh guys if you're listening and you want to reach out to joe you know, whether you're interested in investing, using a service or uh, just having a chat with him, he's a really cool guy, highly suggest cool. you reaching out to him, uh, find him on LinkedIn on their website and uh, yeah, shoot him
1: over a message. So fun fact, I don't think either one of you know this, but I played the fiddle. Really? No bullshit. Uh, so a fiddle is literally a fiddle is literally just a violin, right? So at that point, I knew that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'd played, I'd played violin for five years, but then in high the last year I played was my, my freshman year of high school when there was a fiddling club right and so we just played like bluegrass stuff and I thought it was I don't know that was Dude, pretty cool learning wildcatters
0: bluegrass I, I got yeah. the banjo yeah yeah <laughs> I like think it explains a lot about Jake when you really think about it. I mean, yeah. it does. Like, it's starting to make sense. It all. I've known Jake for four years. And I did not know he played the fiddle. But I keep, it I keep that
1: under wraps, but not, not
0: anymore. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's
2: getting busted out there now. Forty-five thousand
1: people know I play the fiddle now. I'm gonna get all these gigs. You're gonna see me at the Rustic next time. Just, just whipping out the fiddle. That's <laughs> <plan.
0: laughs> energy. energy. Tight night opening at Jake on the fiddle. <laughs> Uh, how many people do you think have have skipped to the next podcast by this point? Everyone, Okay. percent. Oh, yeah. right. Just <laughs> I guess sure.
1: It. Well, in the event that you're still listening, uh, thank you so much for supporting the show. All 45,000 of you or so that have listened up to this point. If you want to support us, uh, feel free to uh, leave a comment, or review, or just share with anybody that you have in your network. And we will catch you guys in the next episode.
0: Thanks so much for having me, boys. Yep.